Welcome to the One O'ahu Podcast. I'm Brandi Higa, and today is Thursday, November 30th, 2023. And it's been a minute, Mayor. How are you doing? How was your Thanksgiving? Well, my question to you is, how is it November 30th? That's my question to you, but I'm doing well. It's hard to believe that Thanksgiving... Is it feels behind like it was a month us. <laughs> no. And but here we are in the throes of getting ready this weekend to kick it all off with Honolulu City Lights and the lighting of the tree and the parades. And in fact, we already had two parades last weekend. And uh, wow, time is going by so incredibly fast. Right. But we don't want to forget about Thanksgiving because you were there at the Blaisdell for the yes. Salvation Army's 51st annual Thanksgiving dinner. How were how your carving skills? Uh, I, I thought my carving skills were pretty good. And they finally gave me a knife that worked. You know, <laughs> I had a butter knife a year ago, but after a little bit of complaining and being heard for a change, I uh, had a nice, was able to cut a nice piece of, look, I, I, I won't forget about Thanksgiving. I actually was moved this year. I thought the folks who arranged it with the Salvation Army, the crowd that showed up, it seemed bigger than the year before mm -hmm. but looking at the faces of the people we're bringing the food to and meeting them even in the greeting line these are people who are living hard lives you could see that and this was really meaningful for them and they were so appreciative um it was a, it was a you know i wish everybody i you know people won't do that but i mean it it really when you start talking about the meaning of a holiday uh and you have an experience like that there's a lot to be thankful for like you mentioned, quick turnaround. You were in those parades. Yeah. Um, but this year, the opening night for Honolulu City Lights is Saturday, December 2nd. Um, something new that you're walking in the parade this year. Yeah, I asked to do that. Well, you know, last year we had a reception up here after we lit the Christmas tree. And I find myself looking out the window with the other people at the parade going by. And look, I think it was in six or seven parades last year. I think it was at least that. Okay, I'm not exactly sure, but I find them enjoyable with the people and getting out. And we've had parades even since that. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, this particular Christmas parade, why wouldn't the mayor be a part of that, right? So uh, I guess uh, thanks to your colleague there, Mr. Humber, and a few of you, I guess, have arranged. We're going to scatter what we're going to get out in a golf cart right after we light the Christmas tree and try to get down to the parade as fast as we can, which originates in Ala Park and then comes all the way here. It's actually the same route we did when we had the Little League mm -hmm. World Championship thing. I just, I, maybe selfishly, I want to, because it, it is it is joyous. I mean, as you're going by and the people are so happy and, you know, and they're, they're shaka and, you know, hey, and uh, it's, it, it's uh, I selfishly, <laughs> They call that fear uh, you know, of missing uh, out. Yeah, I wanted to be a part of it, I <laughs> yeah. think. I mean, you know, look, I mean, it's a, it's a really cool thing to be out there and walk with our team. You know, we have a lot of people from the city and county come and, and have that moment of pride on behalf of all of them and us as a group, but also just to kind of get up close to the people and say, hey, you know, happy holidays and Merry Christmas. This year, the MC for your ceremony is none other than UH Women's Basketball Coach, Laura Beeman. How, yep. did, how did that happen? I love Laura Beeman. That's why. That's how it happened. I mean, we, we had come up with somebody, and I thought, you know, I want somebody with some visibility in a leadership role because I think it's a chance to give them some acknowledgement, too, to ask them because I think it's a really nice thing uh, at, the, at, at the lighting of the tree. And Laura came into my mind, I think maybe because I had been reading something about her just prior, you know, uh, and but I've always liked her. And, I, and she said yes immediately because the only co potential conflict was whether or not she had a game. And mm -hmm. turns out she didn't. And she's I watched her at a microphone. She's really good. And I thought, why not give a shout out to Laura Beeman and give her a chance? And she jumped on it. And I'm very excited about that. 
We'll get to more UH sports in a bit, but we do have some business <laughs> items. Okay, okay. Um, Mayor, as of this recording, a flash flood watch is in effect yeah. for the main Hawaiian Islands through Thursday afternoon. Yeah. And I know the city held immediate availability on Tuesday to talk about all the ways we've prepared, stream clearings, exactly. some tips for residents and drivers. Um, but what's your posturing during this time? Well, we're on full alert. And I'm, you know, I've been, I've got several. Um, different apps on my phone that I'm just checking different weather reports. But Hiro Toya, who runs our emergency services department, has been very good at keeping all emergency management, uh, has been very good at um, keeping us updated on where we are. In fact, they just read his most recent alert. So I, I, I feel like we're doing the best we can. We're ready. Um, and hopefully it's already rained enough um, because, as you just said, it was supposed to maybe subside because, quite honestly, uh, you know, for this weekend here, it'd be nice not to have it in the rain. I want to get to another story that's in the news. Really unfortunate, but crime on Oahu's west side continues to make the news this weekend, a stabbing involving a minor. I know a lot of work has been done on that Waianae coast, but what happened here? Well, as best I know, and I've not been officially briefed, but as I understand, it was a 16-year-old kid with some of his friends at 2 o'clock in the morning taunting some homeless people in their tents. And if that's what happened, then what do you think is going to happen? You know, I mean, you um, shouldn't be out 16 years old at 2 o'clock in the morning. Worse, more so, these guys thinking they can mess around with some people. You know, I, I, I don't know. I don't have all the accounts, but that's the way it was told to me. And if it's different, I'll be the first to admit that when I get briefed. But that's what I was told happened. And so um, bad things happen after 12 o'clock at night. And 2 o'clock in the morning, taunting homeless people, you're asking for you're asking for problem. This administration has invested though in something like the Waianae police station making sure that they have the resources how frustrating is that for you because there's only so much you can do and you're not the parent of that's this right. 16 year old that's right we can't look we have a shortage of police officers but we still have a police department of over 1800 men and women serving and um and while you know we want more police officers and we are recruiting. In fact, you probably saw his article last week. I, I was really pleased to see their initiatives on trying to recruit and hire more women, right? We're still never, even if we had the additional 400 at 2200, when you consider the size of Oahu, you know, all the neighborhoods and all the possibilities that go on, you know, you're just never going to necessarily have a police officer on the scene. It just doesn't happen that way. You know, that's why people call 911. Something happens and and police come to the scene. So, you know, it, it, that's um, it's, it's, it's a bit frustrating because we don't want people on the West Side uh, to feel that there's any lack of concern. I was really annoyed by a commentary. I was watching one of the news reports and somebody said, well, if this was in Kahala, it would never happen. That's so unfair, you know, because that's not the way it's being looked upon. And so we have the station out there. We, we do have it manned. Um, I know the community wants more police officers there. Uh, we're doing the best we can to try to maximize that staff. We're, we're, we're moving in some fingerprint equipment. I think there's some holdup on the software program, supposedly. But honestly, it, with all the sensitivity we have about the West Side, and, and I can promise you, I'm going to be out there a bunch in the next couple of weeks. I've actually signed up for a number of different things. Um, is we don't want that. We don't want people to feel that way. And look, we're going through a whole lot, a whole other issue on the landfill. But I've been on record of promising the people on the west side we wouldn't do that. It's one more, so to speak, slap in the face, if you will. You know, we were, last spring we were out there with our team. We had three different town halls in and around that area. Uh, we tried to embrace the community, listen to them, 
try to prove to them that, you know, there is equality here. It's not, but, you know, you got some people out there that, you know, make the, have things happen. You know, I mean, we know there's been sh- shootings out there with ghost guns, not, you know, and these are people who know each other and talking to police. It's not like random shooting. These are how people are settling scores. What used to be a fist fight in a parking lot, now somebody has a gun and they shoot somebody. It's a bad sign of the times. Um, and so all of a sudden, it seems like it's out of control, but really it's the person who's out of control doing that and what they've done. So, look, can we do a better job? Yes. Do we owe it to the public to make sure everybody is safe? Yes. Do things happen? They do. And and I'm not accepting that, but there's a reality to that as well. So, I'm old school like this. I'm, I'm, we've tried to enforce laws and be as strict as we can. We're doing everything we can to help, help the police department um, with its recruiting from signing bonuses to retention bonuses to flex hours to giving our guys a really decent pay raise. Gave them three fives after we came into office, which compounds out at about 21%. That was a very healthy raise. We worked through all the issues during COVID and everything else that we possibly could. Um, you know, public safety and our reliance on HPD as part of that equation is really, really important. But part of that equation is, and I've said this repeatedly, we've gone out to neighborhood marches and, and different things that have gone on, community watch groups. People have got to own some of the responsibility in these communities for what goes on themselves and help take care of their communities and their place. And that starts first and foremost with parenting and people who are responsible for kids and not letting teenage kids out there in the middle of the night. Mayor, the Honolulu Board of Water Supply voted to adopt a water rate hike earlier this week. Now, although that's phased, it would still amount to a pretty high increase over time. Um, you provided testimony at Monday's hearing. What was your message? You know, my message was asking them to consider understanding their cost basis. I, I looked at all of their stuff and I actually sat through their presentation. I get it, you know, with inflation, electricity prices. Fortunately, and I'm glad that they didn't, but they still laid off a significant amount on Red Hill, but it wasn't all because of Red Hill. Mm-hmm. This has a lot to do with infrastructure issues or whatever. And so, I, and so I said to them that we share in the responsibility of serving the public, but the lines of authority in this one is that I didn't have that line of authority. Um, and so I asked them if they could possibly consider, because they got a 20% pay raise or rate increase schedule for just next year two different 10% raises, if they could phase it, tier it, maybe instead of five years, do it over eight years and just spread out the the big bump because I brought up the Alice report that just came out and, and, and does, does asset limited income constraint. These are working people living paycheck to paycheck. That number has been greater than ever before. We have more young people and people themselves in general, but youth uh, in food sustainability issues, you know. Um, and so to back it up, I told him, I said, look, this is what we did at the city. On my watch, on my purview, what we did, we had by charter, we own 20 buildings that we have uh, rentals and stuff. And I said, we were supposedly, we were supposed to initiate a 3.5% rate increase. We didn't do that. We deferred that. And that wasn't incidental. That was over $500 million in the aggregate. But we did that. And at the same time, we're delaying sewer utility fees, which is actually bigger than a water bill when we were supposed to implement sewer water utility fees. So we did that. I asked them to do the same and it fell out of deaf ears. So we're not done with it. I want to say that right now. I've, I've had a lot of calls from some angry businesses about this because, you know, they they sold it, their schedule, 
kind of in a really innocuous way. They showed year one residential homeowner. It looks like it's a $5. It, it compounds itself out over the five and a half years. And you start to look at the latter years and, and the numbers get serious. And right now, even for a homeowner at a $50 a month for many people living paycheck to paycheck, increase in cost is not insignificant. And we've asked them to be sensitive to that. You know, I, in my former life, going back at least 10 years ago, we were doing stories on priced out of paradise. Since that time, uh, and we weren't looking to be cute then either, we were just what was happening. Since that time, look, we've had seven straight years of out-migration, and that's mostly due to math. It wasn't all because of COVID. That was part of the mathematical problem. People who were living on jobs are heavily relying on tips. When everything closed, they couldn't live here, and so on. But you know, that's not a healthy sign. Um, we have these macro inflationary indexes. We already got a really incredibly high cost of living to begin with, especially when it comes to housing and food now. All that stuff, and I just asked them to be sensitive about it. So there are some things. I've had some calls with Washington and some different things we're trying to see. If I can't, we can't go back in. I want to be careful. This is a podcast. I'm talking to you openly and see if we can't do something here to realign those monies. Um, just trying to make it palatable for people. People are struggling out there, and, and and we need to feel that in leadership roles. We can't be cavalier about it. And look, it's one thing to say we all need pure drinking water, and certainly that was the battle cry over Red Hill in protecting the aquifers. Mm -hmm. But there's a little bit of a different twist on this now and how it impacts people and businesses, many of whom don't have those big margins. They're trying to employ people, keep things going. Their water bills commercially are going to go up substantially. So... All we're doing is asking for us to be sensitive to the time that we're in. And I think that's fair and reasonable. So what does that mean? You would push for something, maybe not in the first rate increase from February. Well, but look, I think there's some federal monies that could be brought in. As it is, we, the city gave to SLRF monies. We gave $42 million to the Board of Water Supply. Okay. $42 million is not a small amount of money. Yeah. We just got in federal monies. But there's some other things that are water-related, as I've learned, I want to know why those monies weren't factored in. I think we're going to try to push really hard. That's what that means. Yeah. To see if, in fact, we can't find other monies that we can provide the Board of Water Supply to meet their legitimate needs. Like I said, I'm mm -hmm. not saying these were legitimate. But but if we could find other monies to offset that, then we could pass those savings on to the consumer. And there's a possibility with that. I had a very encouraging call just yesterday uh, and and so we're going to look into that. And Managing Director Formby is looking at it. We have another meeting coming up on it. Uh, this is unprecedented. It's uncharted waters for me. Uh, I'm, I may be talking where I don't have the authority, so to speak, but that doesn't mean we're going to give up and not try to see if we can't soften this blow a little bit for the for the general public. But it sounds like no disagreement in their plan, operations, and projects going forward, but more where they pull the buckets of money, yeah, where that money comes that, from. Look, I, yeah, I, look, I, far be it for me to be a, an expert. Our water system and everything that goes into it, I spent three hours touring the building one day. It's pretty elaborate stuff, and the pumping stations and the drilling for wells and halava still currently being shut off and alternate routes, all that stuff, you know, is all legitimate. I don't, I don't discount any of that. And our need for drinking water, all of that, and anything else we can do, it's just how do we manage cost is what mm -hmm. I'm saying, okay? Not about the legitimacy of their intentions and their plans and needs. How do we better manage costs? And that's the way I want to approach it. 
uh, kind of tailing on that uh, price tag that raised some eyebrows last week was uh, when the Army Corps of Engineers released their tentative plan for the Alawai flood risk yep. management draft. What was your reaction to that? Uh, I was appalled by it. I'm just going to say right now, I was appalled by that because from the beginning, just three years ago, before we were even in office, I sat in the mayor's conference room with Mayor Caldwell when the Army Corps came in to say the project was dead in the water, dead on arrival mm -hmm. because the price had gone to $650 million. And the congressional support for that, as well as the city's portion and then the ongoing maintenance part, was a bridge too far. And that had come about because of the years of delay and all the bickering and all the other stuff that they went through to try to come up with that flood mitigation project. So we went into it. And we were able to get a second bite up after I was told initially it would take us 10 years to get back in line. We were able to do that. Senator Schatz helped greatly. Mm -hmm. And we met with the Army. They flew out here, all the top brass and whatever, and basically on bended knee because of the risk and the liability that floods represent. And we've already had a good example of it a number of years ago where it impacted Manoa and the University of Hawaii. Sinclair Library is still not the same. Mm -hmm. And for that matter, 200,000 people, residents on the Alawai and all of that's uh, mm -hmm. uh, in Waikiki. So so that said, I always thought, that, and we said, we're not going to do a 100-year storm, we're going to do a 50-year storm. And we had ongoing conversations with them and eliminate the pumping stations, which was a lot of money, all this stuff. And the whole idea, since 650 was a bridge too far, only a couple of years ago, look, and I know costs go up. This is only a couple of years ago. We're not talking like 20 years ago mm -hmm. or something. Um, the fact has come in over a billion dollars at a time like this was wrong. And, 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 and it's like, who the hell is paying attention here and what this was all about? And so, you know, I don't think there's an appetite in Congress to apply that, those kind of monies. Uh, and for that matter, what we have to face in this community with respect to taxes to pay for that. That's, it's, we can't make that work. The math, again, doesn't work there. And we're going to do something about this. And we've asked for meetings now uh, with the Army Corps. And, and I've gotten Washington involved in this in particular case, had a long talk with Senator Schatz about it. And he had, said, had the same reaction that I just said mm -hmm. to you. We had the same. And so we have a great ally in the Senator in that regard. Um, and we need them to do this. But it's sort of like, you know, what the hell are you thinking? And so... Look, if we learned anything about Lahaina, well, where we lost 2,100 structures, we got 3,100 structures at risk, more than 1,000, what happened in, in the Waikiki area, not to mention what it means for the state's GDP. It's 8% of it down there. It's $79,000 a day in tourism money. It's 200 plus thousand residents. There's a lot of risk down there, not the least of which is Manoa itself and the university. It's really two bases. Mm -hmm. You don't want to sit there knowing full well what this liability is, knowing as if you listen to, it's not the doomsdayers, but the people who can predict these things with some feeling of confidence, at least, that in this time that we live in, with the likelihood of a major water event, you know, to sit there and be indifferent about it because it was simply too expensive is unacceptable. If, you know, they had all that data five years ago about the liability in Maui and whatever, and everybody said it'll never happen. Well, it did happen. And so if we've lived through anything in just the last three years, whether it was COVID itself, the pandemic was unimaginable. Red Hill was unimaginable. Certainly the wildfires on Maui were unimaginable. And the lasting impact just yesterday, the 
front page of the paper had longer term solutions. I had dinner with the governor two nights ago. I mean, talk, talk about I mean, the, the road ahead for Lahaina. So here we are really at the epicenter from the standpoint of the state's economy in Waikiki, understanding the potential liability given the dynamics at play. We need to do everything we can to make that project happen. And for these guys to come in two years later, basically doubling the price on something that was unacceptable, I don't get that. And every conversation we had would have said they never would have done that. So I don't know where this went wrong. We're going to get involved with it. But I didn't know about that number until six days ago, mm -hmm. last Friday. Mm -hmm. That's when I first heard that number. What Managing Director Formby and myself were hearing is 500, 500 million, which was less, but okay. Then we were hearing it might creep up to seven, six to 700. And we were thinking, okay, well, let's see what the final, you know, to come in over a billion, that's unacceptable. Uh, but those who are listening, um, U.S. Army Corps of Engineers and the city, we won't be ducking questions that there, there is an in-person meeting on December 12th yep. um, to react to this tentatively selective plan. Mayor, $9 million in health and safety upgrades were recently made to the Blaisdell Arena. That facility is back open, and that was possible through this administration, um, the investment in that facility. Why was that space so important? Well, it's a, it, you know, look, we're now we don't have a stadium of any consequence. Take nothing away from Chink Field that's not, you know, and talking about the dynamics of the community center. The Blaisdell has been here, you know, was Honolulu International Center at first. HIC. You know, yeah, HIC, <laughs> you know, when I first arrived in 1964, right? It was, I think, just built a few years earlier. It, it's an important venue for us where a community can come together, you know, and look, that facility, the concert hall have housed, you know, all kinds of things over the years from great rock groups to superstar performers to all kinds of Broadway theater events. I mean, you can run the litany of what's played on Broadway, you know, from Cats to Hamilton, let me say it that <laughs> way, and everything in between with Les Mis and Phantom and Lion King and Beautiful and wicked and just all these right all we need to have that that is a part of living here and we have our own symphony i shouldn't discount that at all i don't mean to do that and, and so the combination of the arena and the concert hall are really important assets for the city and we don't have the ability of the wherewithal look at the things we've already talked about to level them mm -hmm. sell the land and build something else somewhere out this is not going to happen as it is they're stumbling all over themselves trying to get the stadium figured out Right. So best thing we could do is invest money. It's really investing in the community to take an old building that's needed, needed the upgrades and finally do it. It feels good, actually. That's part of 42 million. The first nine million, right. it's going to be 42 million, which is not chump change. You know, is it all the, could we have spent? An, yeah, we could spend a lot of money, a lot more. But that, I think, from the plans I've seen, will make a considerable difference in the attendees experience when you go to either the concert hall or the arena i think people will notice the, the upgrades president bonwong marcos was recently in town uh did you get a chance to speak with him and can you share what the well, conversation was like? depends what the conversation was he asked me how i was doing with the you know <laughs> i met him on the runway i said hello aloha welcome to hawaii my name is rick blenge i am the mayor of the city and county of Honolulu. he goes that's good good for you and then you moved on okay it was, like that. <laughs> it was pretty much like that i gave him a lay and his wife said even less and i you know uh i don't i don't i, I was there out of uh out of respect for the fact that the city I needed see. to have admiral aguilino was there governor green was there 
obviously as mayor needed to be there. And Congresswoman Takuda was there as well as Congressman Case. So uh, we're there to do the, the proper thing when a, the president of the Philippines arrives and to do that. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure he quickly forgot who I was by the time he got in the car to drive away, but that's okay. <laughs> Um, Mary, you also got to tour the USS Hawaii, um, uh, yeah. something not a lot of people, at least civilians, have gotten to do. What was that like? That was very cool. That was I felt really honored, you know, to get on board a nuclear submarine with uh, Admiral Seif was there, who was in charge of the submarine of the whole Pacific and stuff, <laughs> and uh, it had some of our guys with us um, in, in, in what they afforded us in the way of an orientation throughout the entire ship was terrific. And, um, and and just, you know, um, they talk about fighting the ship and its capabilities. And, and, and I don't even know how they get the missiles in this thing. When you really get down there, you go down three decks and have these missiles that come in through the, the, how they do it. It's an engineering feat. But, you know, one of the things I learned that 57% of the, the fleet, not just the subs, are, are the combatant fleet for Here the Navy in is nuclear, just overall, overall. globally. Um, but having... Um, the submarines here now and the money that the, the Navy's going to be investing in Pearl to make this the place where the submarines come in uh, and what they're going to build out there. It's a repositioning of Pearl Harbor. You know, a number of years ago when I was chair of the Chamber of Commerce, we came really close to having Pearl Harbor shut down. They were closing Navy yards and Pearl was on the hot list. And Mufi was mayor at the time. And I was part of it because I was in that role. It was a lot that went in on Washington and Senator Inouye really helped greatly or whatever, but it was like that. Now today, when you talk to the low Pearl Harbor, it's completely different. Mm -hmm. You know, the way the world has changed and, and largely because of the threat of China, uh, but even what was being argued back then and looking at the shift in global populations in Asia and where, where the people are in, in, mm -hmm. in this century, you know, the need for Pearl Harbor is more so. Now with the threat of China, as I said, and today's weaponry being what it is, and the ability there, which they're investing. We were looking at the dry docks that they built. Talk about vision for these submarines that were built back around World War II. And it was like amazing the vision these guys had because you didn't have the kind of ships you do today, but they, they, they had that. And so the stuff that they're putting in now is newer and better and whatever, but these submarines are, um, these are the best in the world. And, and the Navy is proud to tell you when you're there, nobody, nobody on the planet has got anything like this. And they say it with they say it with great pride. Gave me a lot of confidence. <laughs> you know, I mean just listening to them um talk about it and and, and, and its capability. And obviously we weren't being briefed on anything mm -hmm. confidential and I'm talking openly now because I think they was you know, but um they um they've got incredible capacity to protect our country. And going to battle soon is our UH women's volleyball team. Yeah. Again, going dancing. Um, as of this recording, they haven't hit the TerraFlex just yet, but they face Iowa State in the first round. What's your message to that team? Go. Go for it. Fight for it. Um, you know, um, they've proven to be a really scrappy team this year. Mm -hmm. And they've got some really, really good seniors who've had the benefit of going up there and getting beaten, right? And I think they're all smart enough and all competitive enough to understand you know, the opportunity they have and to, and, and, and to give it everything they have uh, because the rewards at this stage now, if they can advance in that and take it even further, are more than last a lifetime. In fact, their achievements already have. They've had a hell of a year. It's not been easy for them. 
they've had some really good competition, which is part of that seasoning. So I just want to wish them the very, very best. And I really like Robin. I remember when she was playing, I used to watch her when she was playing mm-hmm. all the time. And the fact that she succeeded Coach Shoji, I understood at the time it's not been easy for her in this transition, um, but this is a scrappy group she's put together. I've listened to them in interviews. I like what they all say. They all say the right stuff, you know. Um, they're all great sound bites, you know. They're they they they're in it. I, and so it's uh, and look, I, I've always known the Wahine volleyball program is something of really exceptional, unique pride in our state, and they've played at the highest level for a long time. So I'm just hoping this particular group can surprise a few people. They're going to play at this level now, really tough competition. Um, but I think this group is up for it. I really hope so. The UH football team went 3-1 and one to round out the season, beating Nevada, Air Force, Colorado State, only falling to Wyoming. But what a nice way to send out the seniors for that group. What a great way. I have to tell you, you know, I uh, went to the home games this year and been a season ticket holder and been hoping for the very best. And, and things were looking pretty dark this year. Um, for a lot of different reasons. And candidly speaking, having been at the San Jose State game that night on that shutout, mm-hmm. 35 to nothing. On homecoming. You know, on homecoming. You know, the only thing that was good about that in one small way is I always liked Chevin Cordero and, and I, yeah. I was watching him, you know, and good for him. But, you know, that hurt. Honestly, if you, and I went into the season more bullish than a lot of, people i wanted to be the optimist okay um but not by a wide margin but trying to be realistic but certainly was hoping that they would maybe double down on their wins and and be respectable after the san jose state game i didn't think that you know i thought i didn't know if they would win again if somebody told me then they're going to win three out of the next four knowing who was in the lineup knowing that they were going to face you know air force Play Wyoming away, which admittedly they lost to, but Colorado State had a scrappy. They, they were gonna, they were gonna win three of the next four games. I would have bet my life they wouldn't because of the way. And that, so for them, it's a credit to the coaching, it's a credit to the players, and whatever they did, and whatever adjustment. But I watched them, starting with the Air Force game. I mean, they beat Air Force up up front. People can talk about their running back was out or their quarterback was hurt or whatever, but they were controlling the line of scrimmage. And it's the same thing they did the other night against Colorado State. And and Shipley's, you know, people just think a field goal kicker typically goes through a little bit of a ritual before they come out there to kick a field goal, right? I mean, and uh, they get back there and they tap their toe a little bit. They're kind of looking around. They give the quarterback the signal and then they step up to the ball and they either kick it good or miss it away. None of that existed. They literally started running out on the field with the clock ticking with six seconds because mm-hmm. I watched the whole thing. I'm still not sure that they got it off in time, even <laughs> though the replay said they did. But my eye said zero. They hadn't snapped the ball yet. But that, but really, literally running out from the sideline, running up to a kick and making it at 51 yards with everything on the line is not how guys kick 51-yard field goals. And he did, and it ended up being a game winner and a walk-off and a season ending. It could not have been a better script to get into the offseason. And so I'm really, really happy for them. And they fought really hard. And I think the five wins, none of which were easy, mm-hmm. were hard fought for. And this team you know, learned a lot about itself. Admittedly, they're going to lose 16 seniors off of it. But it gives Timmy a recruiting platform right now that's a little bit more hopeful that I would have thought midway through, at least with five games remaining uh, in the season, 
how this 23 season was going to finish up. They actually pulled it off. Three out of four is a pretty good, pretty right. good momentum. Well, Mayor, this is the One Oahu podcast. So for one final thought. Well, one final thought is going to be the same final thought for this entire month. This is a holiday season in which we live in a really challenging and troubled world. And we certainly here in Hawaii have felt those same kinds of challenges locally, if you will, not just the Maui wildfires. Look at the things we talked about in today's podcast. So, look, this is a time to be joyous. And uh, you can't mandate that in people. You can only hope that uh, people embrace the spirit of the season, love one another, love their families, be grateful for what they have. Um, and, and, and in that regard, I, I want to wish everybody the very best anybody could possibly wish someone in the spirit of this holiday season. Thank you. Thank you, Mayor. And in the holiday season, opening night for Honolulu City Lights is again this Saturday, December 2nd. The block party on Punch Bowl begins at 4 p.m. Mayor's tree lighting ceremony fronting Honolulu Hale begins at 6 p.m. Mayor Blanjardi will flip the switch to light that massive Christmas tree and of course all the displays on the Fosse grounds. Then the Public Workers Electric Light Parade will make its way past Honolulu Hale with Mayor in that parade. Inside of Honolulu Hale, you'll be able to check out the Employee Department Tree Exhibition and the wreath contest starting at around 7. Live entertainment will be ongoing at the Skygate Statue at around the same time. Then at 7.30, photos with Santa begin in Mission Memorial Auditorium. We hope to see you there. Happy holidays and until next time, aloha.